My job in the military, I was security for the chaplain. So chaplains are non-combatants, meaning they can't carry a weapon even for defense. And so they had someone like me, which is called a religious program specialist, RP for short. And so my job when that bomb went off was only for one thing, it was to protect that chaplain. So that bomb went off. I was thrown left unconscious and I couldn't see to my left or right. I had ringing my, my, in both of my ears. I didn't know if I had my limbs or not. All I knew is my whole right side of my body was completely numb. I still, even though I didn't have any external injuries, I still suffer from a lot from that impact itself. So I was yeah. thrown, saw the chaplain. I had straight tunnel vision, couldn't see to the left and right. So I'm on the ground trying to crawl. I somehow was able to pick myself up, grab the chaplain by the back of his flak and, dra- and pull him underneath safety. And the reason why this is very important to, to be able to discuss is because from that day when we got ambushed, everything that I was trained to do from that day that I put my feet on those yellow footprints was for that one day we got ambushed. And this is the thing that reality check that every entrepreneur needs to understand. We are all going to get ambushed sometime in our business one day or another. It may not be an ambush like you getting blown up like I did. It may not be gunfire coming at you, but an ambush could be an employee quitting. An ambush could be uh, a client quitting. That was one of your biggest high paying clients. Ambush could be a COVID or a recession. Right. But I will tell you, those businesses that were able to thrive and push through during COVID or a recession are the ones that were prepared. They knew how to bounce back and come back and be able to move forward inside of their business. All branding is personal. And it's not about who you say you are. It's about who you are and how you say it. I'm Hirsch Repu, copywriter, comedian, and brand voice expert. I've helped hundreds of companies fine tune their messaging. And now I'm sitting down with some of the most ambitious and imaginative founders around who share their seven figure stories and their next figure goals. Let's hit the brand voice runway. Today's episode of brand voice runway delivers an emotional triumph story, one that's full of hope, and inspiration. And if you've listened to any of my previous podcasts, then you know that to me, branding is always personal. It's the beating heart of business that really appeals to me and our individuality. I think the fact that no two individuals, much less categories of individuals are the same. And so you're going to get that today with my guest who is coming to us to talk to us about his experiences and his road to success and how he helps others now achieve their success. And when I say that J.R. Spear is an incredible business leader and a combat war veteran, those two things, I think, go hand in hand because his resilience as an entrepreneur and as a human being are tied together. But I'm going to let him tell you more about his own story. First, welcome, JR. I am truly excited to have you on because it's so personal, because I think that while people want the one, two, three, four, five things they can do, what is the method? You know, they want to hear about creed. They want to hear about your network, you know, what you've been able to do for other entrepreneurs and coaches. We'll talk about your book for sure. But I want to hear in your own words, your story, your personal story a little bit, if you would. Yeah, well, I'll take it back to the early days where I came out of my mom kicking. And I I say that as a joke, but it's actually the truth because I grew up in a family-owned business where my mom always owned a martial arts school, did fitness and martial arts since she was about 10 years old. And I got four sisters. We all kind of grew up in the family business as well. So, you know, from the day that I could start walking, you know, I, I was living and breathing that entire environment, which 
honestly, it helped change and you know mold me to the person that I am today because you know, being in that type of environment and family-owned business, I had to learn discipline and structure and just how families work together. It's like we all took a place. It's like when something needed to get done, we always you know showed up to do it, which had me start teaching and leading since I was about 10 or 11 years old. I'll never forget that, you know, that time and where as I think my mom was like sick or something like that. And then she that we had a bunch of classes going on in the evening. And I'm not a black belt this time. I didn't get my first degree black belt until I was probably 15 years old. But you know, I she had no one to be able to teach a class. And so it was like, oh great, you know, who's gonna step up? So she's like, Hey JR, I need you to go teach us. So I was like, I never taught a class by myself. You know, I held targets and different different things like that, but <laughs> never taught a whole class. But I was forced into it and I was happy that I did because. That's where I really started finding my passion for teaching. And even though I was this 10 or 11 year old kid, I was able to lead of a class of a bunch of teenagers and adults by myself. And then ever since that day, it just never stopped. And so I've been teaching since I was about that young. Since you were 10. One thing I wanted to say is that the more I talk to people who were raised in a family business environment, you know, the more I start to recognize how much more they learned than let's yeah. say someone whose mom or dad was in a corporate environment. Because in the corporate environment, you have the bring your child to work day and you have the stuff where they could share it with you. But sometimes that corporate structure doesn't really lend itself to, they weren't going to call you and say, JR, come and step in because you know one of your parents can't do the meeting that day and yeah. step in. But when it's a family owned business, they can do that. And so that's tremendously valuable. What did it feel like to look at an audience at that age? If you can remember, I remember some of my 10 year old, you know, so what, you know, what I never like my mom always joked that JR never knew a stranger. I mean, everywhere I went, you know, I was always there to serve and wanted to help people and stand in front of a crowd and be able to teach It just, it never was in my DNA to get nervous or whatever, because I knew it. And I always had a, a sense of confidence in everything that I did, even from that young age. It's like, okay, you know, I'm going to get up. I'm going to teach. It's like, we, we know that when you start the class, we bow in, we stretch, we warm up. Then we do kicks and punches and blocks. We might practice our forms, katas, pumse, whatever they want to call it. And then we might do some one-step sparring or, you know, or some uh, kicking drills back and forth. So I had the confidence from a very young age just to be able to get up and take the authority from the stage to be able to lead people. And that is just something that, always became natural to me. And I don't know, like I, to me, when someone says that they get nervous staying on stage or they get nervous to get up and teach, I just, I can't relate to that because for me, when you know your stuff and you're called to serve and to do it, you just do it. And it's just part of who I am, but well, you yeah, just, I just remember, no, go but, ahead, go ahead, finish. No, I was just saying from a young age, it's just that that's just what I've done. And I remember even growing up through middle school and high school, my mom, brought me along to, she used to teach like different programs in the local high schools and middle schools, like Taylor health class. And we do like one day seminars, like self-defense, or we talk about awareness or date rape or whatever like that. And then once I got to high school, I was leading those classes. So I was traveling to a bunch of different high schools. I would skip school and go to these other schools. And I take over like the business or the health class for the entire day to peers of my same age. And I'm teaching every single one of them about self-defense or whatever it could be. And so it really, it really helped shape me who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you nailed it by saying, you know, while on the one hand, you can't relate to stage fright per se, but the preparation to, to me as a stand-up comedian and as a leader and speaker, and I know you do a lot of speaking as well, you know, for me, it's about the prep. It's about knowing as much as you can know about the subject when you go in and knowing yes, no. what you're going to say and then being able to go off script 
You could take a journey off script if the moment's really right, keeping it fresh. You know, you can tell a fresh story, something that just happened, but all that prep goes into it, you know? And I think that's a big part of it. Let's talk about, you know, obviously you've gotten involved in all kinds of businesses, martial arts, you know, consulting, network, advertising, marketing. So- you well, know, let, let me, I want to hit on what you just talked about and I'll, it'll sure. actually tie into like my story from like when I was in Iraq, then I take those experiences to be able to help entrepreneurs because you're absolutely right. It's the prep that actually gets you, make sure that builds that confidence to what you do. And, you know, I'm sure people heard this quote before, but I say it all the time. If you stay ready, you'll never have to get ready. And yeah. in martial arts, what you're constantly doing is building that muscle memory. So when you are getting ready to train for a competition, or if you actually had to use real life skills to protect yourself or someone else, you learn how to react without responding. That only comes from confidence and prepping and knowing your stuff and just being able to get up there and do it. And I think that's why I've always been very confident because I'm constantly staying in my craft. Everything that I do every single day from a young age is always doing what I do every day. So when I'm teaching, I'm teaching on stuff that I do every day. I'm not teaching on something I just read in a book. I'm teaching on real life situations. I'm teaching on real tactics. I'm teaching on real strategies that I practice every single day. And therefore it makes it a lot easier to teach. And so I always like to tell the stories. Like when I got out of the high school, I, I was not a person that wanted to stay in school. I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to stay in the education. I wasn't the best student. And so I went into the military and, and that was kind of the, the very best place for me and for, and just kind of getting away from, you know, the trouble friends that I was hanging out with to, you know, trying to, to start a new life. And my grandma was a, a huge influence and in pushing me in that direction. And I'm extremely thankful that she was, and that's a whole nother story in itself. But, you know, my grandma's, <laughs> yeah, my grandma, she was just, she said, she, you know, I was getting in trouble one day. She drove me to the recruiter station and was like, Hey, you're not coming out until you sign up for the service. And so I, I knew at that time I was never going to say no to grandma. And I was like, okay. So I went in and I knew I'd never go army or air force just because, you know, I just had a much higher respect for Navy and Marine Corps. My gra grandfather was retired Navy. My uncle was in the Marines. And, but at that moment when she told me to go in, I knew I didn't want to go in the Marines because they just worked too hard. So I was like, yeah. okay, I'll go in the Navy. And so I ended up signing for the Navy my junior year of high school. And, you know, during my junior and senior year, my life went to a whole different direction. I ended up rededicating my life to Christ. And I was getting back on tracking out with the right people and just really becoming more focused. I went through like a year or two period of my life where I was just unfocused in what I was doing. But, you know, kind of when I went in the military, you know, from day one, you know, you put your feet on those yellow footprints, you know, they start conditioning you and training you with the way that you think the way that you talk, the way that you act, every single thing that you do from day one, when you get off the, that, that bus and put your feelings, yellow footprints is to condition you for the day that you get ambushed. And I say that because, you know, the ambush is a huge part of my story that ultimately, you know, shifted everything in time in my life. And so I, I went in the military and it was, you know, August of 2003. And on February 7th, 2007, I survived a suicide bombing at a walking checkpoint in Barwana, Iraq, where I was standing only feet away from a guy that, that was coming through at a walking checkpoint close to a river. And as I walked in front of him, he lifted his arm, strapped a C4 and blew himself up. And that was like the deadliest and biggest bloodbath that I could imagine. And, and an entire movie can be made on this entire situation. And my sergeant major who just walked by me and was standing in the same spot where I was at for about an hour ended up paying the ultimate sacrifice. And another Marine that I was next to, David Emery, ended up losing both of his limbs. And then we lost our interpreter, another female Marine, and, a, and tons more injuries. And it was it was a very sad, you know, horrible day. 
But as that bomb went off, you know, I was thrown left unconscious to the ground. And my job in the military, even though I, I signed up for the Navy, and here's the sense of humor God has, is like yeah. I was signed up for the Navy because I didn't want to go to the Marine Corps, but I am spending my entire time with the Marine Corps. So it was, yeah. uh, so, but uh, it was, it was the best thing for me, but my job in the military, I was security for the chaplain. So chaplains are non-combatants, meaning they can't carry a weapon even for defense. And so they had someone like me, which is called a religious program specialist, RP for short. So they would call me, call me RP. And so my job when that bomb went off was only for one thing it was to protect that chaplain. So that bomb went off. I was thrown left unconscious, unconscious, and I couldn't see to my left or right. I had a ring in, my, in both of my ears. I didn't know if I had my limbs or not. All I knew is my whole right side of my body was completely numb. I couldn't even lift my arm from my rifle or nothing. And even today, like when I feel the right side of my face like this is a completely different sensation than the left side of my face. And I get the echo of my own voice every time I speak on my right side. It's like a vibration on my right side of my ear. And then having full rotation on my right arm is always extremely painful when I have to lift it up to the side. So I still, even though I didn't have any external injuries, I still suffer from a lot from that impact itself. So I was yeah. thrown, saw the chaplain. I had straight tunnel vision, couldn't see to the left and right. So I'm on the ground trying to crawl. I didn't know if he was hurt, if he was dead or what happened. But I saw my first sergeant or gunny over in the distance trying to wave. Couldn't hear them screaming, but I somehow was able to pick myself up, grab the chaplain by the back of his flak and, dre- and pull him underneath safety. And the reason why this is very important to, to be able to discuss is because from that day when we got ambushed, everything that I was trained to do from that day that I put my feet on those yellow footprints was for that one day. That one day when yeah. we got ambushed, that one day when we had to respond, because I had to respond without thinking, and I did so without thinking. I knew exactly what to do. My job was to protect that chaplain, get him to safety, and help assess the area with the, with the Marines to make sure there was no other danger. And I was able to move. I was able to respond. And I was able to react. During that moment, with pain, with headache, with not even being able to hear, not without being able to see anything, all those different emotions and feelings, I couldn't do it all, but I still was able to move and to react. And this is where entrepreneurs screw up. They don't yeah. do the things that it takes to actually build a business. They want everything to be handed to them. They want to try to find some way, the easy ticket, the easy path to get from one place to another, but they never put in the reps themselves. There's a constant training that we have to build. So those people that have a struggle with their messaging, with the processes every single day, the day-to-day business. I mean, if there's a coach or a business owner out there that says, hey, you know what? I got everything done for the day or for the week. You know, I'm going to go. I'm going to just go leave for, for a month. It's like, what? There's like a million things that we can be doing. You got to constantly be staying in the game. You got to constantly be doing things to do it. And now am I saying that you can't go off and take time and vacation? Yes, absolutely. I mean, our job for growth in business is to making sure that we are creating the processes that allows us to delegate so we can eliminate us from the process so we can participate. But there's always going to be something that we can do. And people don't understand what that formula looks like when it comes to the growth of their business. And that's ultimately what I learned from the military is like, how many times did we have to get up at O-Dark 30 to, to put on a 100-pound pack to go for a hike up the hill in the middle of the dark when you can't even see five feet in front of you with the guy and hoping that you can get back with everyone at the same time? Numerous yeah. of times. How many times do we need to go for a run to condition our bodies? How many times do we have to sit through a classroom when we're only going on like one to two hours of sleep? Everything that we did was to help educate us, condition us, train us from our health, from our the way our education, the way we thought, the way that we talked, the way that we walked, the way that we ran, everything we did was to prepare us for that day that we got ambushed. And this is the thing that reality check that every entrepreneur needs to understand. We are all going to get ambushed sometime in our business one day or another. But what is that ambush? It may not be an ambush like you're getting blown up like I did. It may not be gunfire coming at you. But an ambush could be an employee quitting. 
An ambush could be uh, a client quitting. That was one of your biggest high paying clients. Ambush could be a COVID or a recession. Right. Like how right. many people struggled during that time? A lot of businesses, but I will tell you those businesses that were able to thrive and push through during COVID or a recession are the ones that were prepared. They had the systems in place. They put in the reps. They knew that if something would happen, that they knew how to bounce back and come back and be able to move forward inside of their business. And that's ultimately what I teach my clients is like, how can we create the systems and processes that prepares you for the day that you get ambushed? Because, you know, for me, when my middle son, he's five, five and a half years old now, when he was about 18 months old, he was put in the hospital and almost died from a respiratory disease. And he was on an incubator and breathing tubes and everything for over two and a half weeks. Well, during those two and a half weeks and even longer, I had to be, you know, I couldn't work. I was in the hospital with them and I had, you know, we didn't leave his bedside. I mean, we just lived on hospital food and, and family came and dropped stuff off. And I did not once during that time, did I think about or worry about my business is because I had systems in place. I had a team in place. I had things moving in the right direction and my business did not skip a beat. I was able to move forward. I was able to react. And when I came, when I was able to come back to work, people were receptive and understanding and we were still able to move forward like nothing happened. But if it wasn't for me being able to put those things in place and be able to prepare for a situation like that, I would never have been able to do it. And most business owners, they can't do that. Like if they didn't show up to work, you know, their, their business would fail. I mean, if there was a recession, I can't tell you how many business owners right now that I keep talking hearing, it's like a recession is coming. Are you ready? And it's like, I didn't, you know, I didn't even feel the last recession. Why would I even feel this one? You know, we just find ways to pick up and move. And, you know, it's just a matter of learning to put in, to be able to respond. And that's all part of putting in the reps. That's all part of continued education, making sure you have the systems, making sure you have the team, making sure you're showing up every day to do something inside of your business. So that way you're constantly moving forward and having constant growth. So yeah. but that, that's ultimately what I teach. There's so much, JR, to, to kind of dig into here both personally yeah. and professionally for me. Personally, it resonates with me because my dad was in the chaplaincy during oh, the Korean yeah. War. Yeah. And it was getting a sense of how that works and, you know, and then not kind of practicing as a rabbi or anything. After he went into the professional world, he went to study law and became an uh, attorney in private practice. But my uncle's a rabbi, still a rabbi in his 90s, you know, still carrying that persona every day. And so yeah. the understand the appreciation, I mean, thank you so much for your service. I haven't said that yet, but it, it really means something personal to me when I hear that. And then, of course, the idea that you never know what the training is for in a way, specifically, mm -hmm. you just don't, you know, the ambush concept is so palpable and we all relate to it. And of course, it's all about perspective. If something happens in our business, that could be, could feel existential to us, right? Yeah. And can be, and that training, that prep is indispensable and you never know that to me, it's like, I finally realized after being in business for, for decades that it was that I was almost thrilled by the examples where preparation paid off. You know, not yep. that I looked for any of those fires to get lit and have to put them out. But even with my kids, when I have five, you know, I'm blessed to have, to have five kids and a grandchild. And even when, you know, when I have all of that, those things that pop up, you're like, wow, man, it's just okay. It's I'm ready. It's good that I'm ready for this. I never knew what this was going to be. I didn't expect this from the oldest to the youngest. Another personal thing was that my oldest son was, he was hospitalized with something at three, something called orbital cellulitis. 
And it required him being in the hospital for a couple of weeks. And it's that same thing that you couldn't pick out of a book an issue, a medical issue or a financial issue or a business issue, you know, and, and I'm sure like that we've both read a lot of books on business. You know, you can get all kinds of stuff on business that will help prepare you. But I yeah. think that knowing that you need that preparation, knowing that you need something and organization and commitment as early as possible, you know, is probably an important lesson. But what made you, you know, you had started businesses, you had successful businesses. What made you want to transition into coaching, you know, specifically coaching versus just being successful? You could have applied yeah. the lessons, you know, that you learned into your own business, but there's a different level there. Yeah. I, you know, going back to my young age, I always loved teaching. And when I got back from Iraq in 2007, so the suicide bombing happened on February 7th of 07. We got back from deployment May 31st of 2007. And I was out of the military by July 10th, just like a, almost a little bit longer than a month after getting back from combat. And, you know, it's a culture shock when you come back from the Middle East and you're doing this day to day. I mean, I was gone for almost an entire year and you're, you have the day to day operations. I mean, you're seeing things that people don't see. You're in regular, your everyday life is just survival. And so when you come back, to civilian life and trying to figure out, I was like, okay, what do I, how do I fit in? I didn't know what I was going to do. I was already planning on, I mean, at this time I matured a lot and I was already planning on going to college. So I ended up going to Bible college for one semester out of St. Louis, Missouri, where I'm originally from and did that for one semester. But then I didn't know what I was going to do for work. And I was like, okay, I have a little bit of surplus I saved up while I was deployed, but that was only going to last me for so long. And so I wanted to start a business. Well, only thing I could really think about, the only skill set that I really had was teaching martial arts. It's like, okay, I went and opened up a martial arts school. My mom, when I left for the military, she pretty much stopped. She closed down her school. And because, you know, I was a big part of, you know, what, what it was growing up. And so she stopped teaching full-time and got in real estate, but she kept a program going where she was teaching like maybe one or two days a week and had like maybe five clients. So I told her, I was like, look, I'm going to open up a martial art, open up a school because this is what I know how to do. I know how to teach. I trained Marines and sailors while I was uh, in the military. And so, and I even taught some martial arts schools at the place wherever I was stationed at. So that's what I knew how to do. I didn't know how to do business though. And yeah. so I remember when I first launched the, the martial arts school, I found a, a cheap space that the guy gave me like $500 a month for rent for like the first year and then a bump up to like a thousand. So a super, super cheap rent that I found. Now the downfall was, you know, it was a piece of mess. I mean, it was a hole, <laughs> but, and the, but I, I ended up to using my own resources, my friends to come and redo it all in construction. And, you know, the, the agreement was that he wouldn't touch any of the construction and I did it all. So I learned, did what I learned in the military. You just, you know, get to work hands on knees and scrub the floors, clean the walls and paint and everything else. So got it up and working, running, getting the martial arts going, school going. And I hired my mom to work for me as an employee and brought her on. And because I didn't know business, I knew I needed a mentor. I needed a coach. And I didn't know what the coaching world looked like. And my mom is the one that kind of introduced me to this organization called Maya, which was out of a century martial arts. And Maya is a you know, consulting agency where they helped martial arts school owners, you know, start growing, build their businesses. Oh. So when I signed up with Maya, I had absolutely no money at all. I got a credit card, put it on and started paying it. And then my coach, whose name is uh, Mike Metzger, and I'm still connected with him today. 
he taught me some of the most valuable lessons about business that I still implement today. And I've, and I've used in six different businesses that I've built over 16 and a half years of running businesses. And I, and you asked your, your question was, how did I know I would want to get in coaching? Well, I knew from that day one, when I started working with them, that when I got off that first call, I said, I want to do what you do someday. Because it was so impact, I can tell like what he was teaching was so impactful that I wanted to make that difference for other small business owners and help them create the opportunities that they didn't think was possible. Because at, at that moment, I was selling month to month programs for like $50 a month for martial arts, which is not a sustainable way to build a business. I could barely right. put keep the lights on the place, much less you know put food on the table. And so when he started teaching me all the skill sets, I mean, gosh, one, just a few was how to create offers how to actually market, how to run events and how to close and from, you know, from many to, to one. So he's you know, closing in a group. And so when he showed me how to create the offers and run my first event and then do a big group close at that event, I went from like barely making $500 a month in the martial arts to in that day, I had probably, I think I probably put five to $7,000 cash in my pocket, plus an additional three to $10,000 in monthly reoccurring revenue. And that's when the light bulb clicked. I was like, well, this was the most powerful. I was terrified. Like yeah. when I was doing that group, doing that first event and I was doing the close, I, I didn't, I wasn't scared of doing the group close, but I was terrified. I was like, okay, is this going to work type of thing? And follow the step-by-step -step process. I, I did the value stack. I had multiple different upgrades and then it worked. And then I've been able to do that. So I, I had the martial arts school after a few years, I sold the business over to my mom. And then I launched a PowerFit bootcamp, which in less than 18 months, I expanded that to four different cities. And then after I did that for about a decade, and then when we moved to the East Coast, you know, with my wife, and now I have three and almost four kids, you know, I've been able to duplicate it in multiple different industries, the same exact steps and processes. And that's what led me to today. But I knew from that day one of working with that coach that this is what I wanted to do. And when I was running the martial arts school or not martial arts, when I was running my fitness business, I had a lot of employees, like instructors working for me and personal trainers. So I had probably more than 30 instructors working for me at one time. And I was always teaching them about sales and marketing and teaching and time management and everything like that. So it was an easy transition when I got out and left the, the fitness to teaching you know, coaches. And I started out only teaching personal trainers, nutritionists, and, and those in the health and wellness space. That's what I knew. And then it eventually evolved where I ended up helping, you know, all small business owners and, and different walks of life. And now I really narrowed down to speakers, coaches, and authors is kind of like right. my niche format. Right. And now after this next piece, we all want to talk about the book a little bit, but I find it really interesting that, you know, you were imparting kind of sales knowledge to physical trainers, to martial yeah. arts trainers, right? So it was like a two-pronged process in a way that you know, that prepared them. I mean, you were doing it, I guess, at the time to prepare them, but in a way that ended up being, you know, your business, your next phase of business. So this well, is I, I knew I couldn't, I knew I couldn't be uh, everywhere at one time. And the, right. you know, the sale starts from the first conversation that you have with someone. And so if I have someone bringing a guest to one of my bootcamp classes and I'm not there to, to do it, they had to know how to interact with that person, how to follow up with them, how to actually close them on the membership. And so it was, I was going to be, uh, I, I relied heavily on what they've been able to do to actually sell to, for me to continue growth. So, I mean, take the military, for example. I mean, there's the chain of command for a reason. I mean, when we go into the military as a list of personnel or even an officer, we're all taking out the trash in the beginning. And then eventually you earn a little bit of rank and the people that are above you are looking out for the people under you. 
So you go from like a lance corporal to like an NCO being a corporal or or sergeant or whatever, and then you go up to a staff sergeant. Well, the corporals are looking after the the lance corporals, the staff sergeants looking after the sergeants and the corporals, and then you got even the sergeant majors looking after everyone. And so you're only going to be as good as your team and your leadership. So you're constantly training the people under you so that they can train the people underneath them. And if you continue that same growth and that same chain of command, then you can definitely build a huge empire. Also, it brings a, a, a question, which is, is every, you know, a lot of people think, okay, well, I'm not a leader, you know, but it does seem like in every role, there's a leadership capacity because ultimately you're going to hopefully move up. You know, a lot of, not, not people aren't, even people who aren't particularly ambitious. Oh, I have to have my own business or I have to be a speaker or a coach, you know, yeah. but we don't sometimes even choose those things. It's just there's a natural progression. You want to do more for your family. You want to grow as a person. You know, do you think that there are leaders and followers or what's your thought on that? Yeah, that's a big question. I mean, kind of there's the old saying that you have to learn how to follow before you can be a good leader. And, you know, that's true in, in a lot of different aspects. But the thing is, if you want to be a great leader, you have to learn how to actually continue to educate and grow and follow other people that are better than you in the first place. You never want to be the smartest person in the room to be able to continue to grow yourself. I have come across some people, you know, in my life, not a lot, but a handful of people that they don't want to step in a leadership position. They want to stay kind of like behind the scenes, the lowest total, employment, even if it, it included a higher pay and what they do. But for the most part, we, as a human being, I think it's our moral obligation that we always look for that continued growth and moving forward in life. And to do so, it it requires you to teach the people underneath you. I mean, that to me, that's just part of evolution of life is like you right. take your knowledge and then you teach the people underneath you of what you know, so that you can continue to grow yourself. But yeah, I mean, we're all, I mean, leadership, I don't know if I really agree with saying leaders are born, but we are all can be taught to be great leaders. Yeah. And the key word may be teaching in that, you know, leading and teaching are not necessarily the same thing. Teaching, I look at teaching as sharing. Teaching doesn't put me on a pedestal just because I'm helping to educate someone else. I look at it as I'm imparting something. I'm sharing something with them. They can share it with them. It may have something to do with age and experience by nature, but it isn't, okay, I'm the teacher, you know, and you're the student. It's, yes. I'm, so the, you know, sharing. Yeah. So something was told to me years ago and uh, I forget, I, I can't even pinpoint when I actually learned this, but a great leader is not something like it hits on exactly what you're talking about. It's not just a teacher, but a great leader is one that can influence another to move. So when mm. you can influence someone else to make change and be able to move, that's what a great leader is. We can all give a motivational speak and we can all get out there and teach something that you learned in a book. There's a lot of teachers out there, but they don't know past what's in the, on the printed on the pages. They don't have yeah. real life experience to be able to move, but real leaders, great leaders, not just real leaders, but great leaders are the ones that know how to influence others to be able to move. Yeah. And when you can influence others to be able to move and to do it well, that's what a great leader is. But there's a lot of teachers out there that are not great leaders. But if you want to be a great leader, you have to know how to influence others. Yeah. And this goes to something that's that I'm passionate about, which is brand voice. You know, obviously mm -hmm. I call the show Brand Voice Runway, and that's for a reason, because no matter where you start from, you're always kind of taking your voice. And like you pointed out, JR, you have to sometimes have your staff, your team is an extension of you. 
You know, they have to represent you. And it's the same in the military. You're representing, you know, your unit, you're part of the armed forces, and then you're representing your country, you know? So your ideals are reflected in how you, how people talk about you. And so how did you uh, build, how did you use your voice, let's say, to build a following, to build a community around your message? Yeah. So, the, I mean, there's a lot of different ways I did it, but I'll just speak for my coaching business itself. But, you know, I take the same concepts when I did in the fitness and, and martial arts. And even when I was in advertising is, you know, first off, you have to understand what a community is and, and the vision and the purpose behind what you want to build. And I always like to use the example of like a church, you know, whether anyone listening to this, that they're a Christian or if they're not a Christian, that's beside the point. But most people know what a church is. And no one can influence or get people to move or volunteer their hard-earned hours and time to be able to run the organization of a church for free. I mean, if you go to a church, I mean, my church that I go to, there's hundreds and hundreds of volunteers every single Sunday morning, and every single one of them are doing it completely for free. And they do so during the week, and they're, they're probably giving up 10, sometimes some of them maybe 15, 20 plus hours a week for free. Why is that? So if you really grasp like the, the concept of how churches are able to get volunteers for, to do something for free is because they're getting people bought into the community and the vision of what they believe in, which is in a Christian church is Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus Christ and be able to disciple others to bring them in to, you know, with the same message. So if you take that same concept, whether Christian or not, and, and apply it to your own business and, and really think about community, how can you get people believe and bought into your vision of what you want to instill, like what you believe. And when you can build that culture around your vision, you can establish a strong community and therefore you're going to create raving fans that ultimately is going to want to stay with you forever and eventually you know, want to buy your product services, whatever you want to do. But I think community is like the very first part that we, well, understand your purpose and your vision, your identity and your messaging for brand awareness is first. But once you understand that, you need to build a community around that of raving fans that ultimately is going to help feed your products and services because they're going to start believing in who you are. But that's ultimately what I did. It's like, you know, I found a group of individuals that believe in the same vision that I had that want help with what I'm an expert or what I feel that I'm great at teaching people how to do and influence them to be better. And I started, you know, finding opportunities to build a community, Facebook group, plus group calls and everything else that fed my high ticket services. And it's the same flow that I just rinse and repeat all the time, but it all starts with vision and community. If you've enjoyed this episode of Brand Voice Runway, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. The positive reinforcement keeps us going. Who am I kidding? Founders like us keep going regardless. Thanks so much for listening and make tomorrow greater than today.